Good morning. Welcome here to everybody this morning. Please stand and join us singing our first song, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, number 35 in your hymnal. time I'll ask you to take your bulletins and just highlight a few things in there. If you, and there's anyone that has an announcement that would like to make it, if you could come up now. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jean Sabimana. This year, I am volunteering to be the person in contact for the pickup and work. Uh, this is um, an activity that started 12 years ago, and it is happening again this year, and I hope it will continue every year. Uh, this year it will be on May the 5th, meaning four weeks from today. Our church has been invited, and uh, I hope that uh, we are participating. Everyone is invited, regardless of the age, from zero to 100. <laughs> and everyone can do something there. Uh, it is about cleaning the city, our city. So it is who? It is everyone. Where? It is in the city of Sennebach. Why? Cleaning the city. And what? Yeah, cleaning the city again. <laughs> <laughs> and we need three kind of volunteers. Volunteers to do the pickup and the work. That starts at 9 o'clock from the T.G. Smith Arena. And we need also volunteers to help prepare and serve the lunch. So lunch is free. Uh, those volunteers will start, the, the, the food preparation and serving will start at 10 o'clock, but not the lunch. Lunch will, lunch will start at 
but the volunteers have to be there at 10. We need also volunteers to weave uh, pickup trucks to pick up the garbage. For those people, uh, we will need the, their telephone number so that we can contact them to tell them where is where are the bags to pick up. And for picking up the garbage with the truck, we need two persons on the truck, one driving and one helping lifting the bags. So it is May the 5th, the 5th, on in Stenibak, starting at T.G. Smith Arena. Everyone is invited. And lunch will be offered. Also, yellow T-shirt will be offered. There will be a check-up list there in the back. So you can sign up your name there. Uh, I hope we will participate in a big number. You can come with, as a family or as a friend. Everyone is invited. You can even invite people who are not from Senegal. <laughs> Thank you. If you take your bulletin uh, on the inside, the bottom, uh, I want to highlight a few condolences. Our condolences go to Norma Epp and her family and on the passing of their dear husband, father, grandfather, and great-grandfather, Jack Epp. We will miss Jack and the church choir and his outgoing and gracious personality at Grace. Uh, let's pray for the family as they begin life without him. Uh, the flowers that are uh, on the side of the stage here were, were used in his funeral and are here as a remembrance of Jack. As well, our condolences go out to Vic and Carol Penner, Wally and Sylvia Penner, and George and Marion Penner on the passing of Vic and Wally's sister and niece to George, Lorna Dick, on May, March 27th. Also remember to, to pray for Ernest Clausen, who is recovering this week from a heart attack. The call to worship this morning will be found on the screen. If you could follow along with the bold, and I will read the, the not bold. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. We have not seen the risen Christ, but we see him in the lives of those transformed by grace. We have not seen Jesus face to face, but we have seen him in the faces of everyone whose love encourages us. We have not touched the wounds from the cross, but we have been called to bring healing to the scattered and the world. Let's pray together. We come before you, O God, hoping to know your will. As the disciples before us, in the aftermath of all you have done, we are gathered together. We long for your spirit and to know your presence. We ache for your guidance and direction. We come seeking your love and for you to know our love and devotion. Breathe upon us anew and fill us. Anoint us with the blessings of your presence as you receive our praise and prayers. For we offer, offer them in the name of our risen Savior. Amen. Please stand and join us singing, Be Unto Your Name. The words will be on the screen behind us.
sing the journey number 13 my soul is filled with joy and we will omit verse 2 
like to come forward for the children's time. There we go. Come on forward, you guys. That yeah, just took a little while, didn't it? Okay, I want you to crowd all in here. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do something. Something that I think I've done before. Wow, there's a big group of you today. Hi, Evan. How are you? Hi, Max. How are you? I like that boy bright spring t-shirt already. Okay, anyway, you know what? I am going to do something with you today that I think I've done before. I can't remember. You might remember. So maybe I'm running out of ideas. And I have to always do something that I used to do. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story first. And it's the same story that we're going to use with the people in church here today. You see, on the evening of an evening of a day after Jesus, risen from the dead, the disciples of Jesus, those who followed him, were all in one place. And they had locked the doors because they were afraid of some people around them. And then, even though the doors were locked, suddenly it says that Jesus was in the room with them. But Jesus had died, so they thought that was very strange. And Jesus showed them his hands, and they showed them his side, because that's how Jesus had died. And when Jesus both died. He died, that's right. And then, you know what, though? The disciples, did they say, nah. No, all they said was, this is very exciting. They were overjoyed, it said. They were happy, they smiled. But one of their friends, Thomas, he wasn't there when that happened. And they all told him, we've seen Jesus. And you know what he said? He said, no, I can't believe that. Unless I see the hands. he got to the office. The office, yes. And le- yes. And unless I see his hands in his side, he said, I won't believe it. In other words, Jesus had to show Thomas that he was there. A snack, yes. They called it the Last Supper. Yes, that's right. We don't even need all of them, do we? No. So what we are going to do is I need some brave volunteer who might be able to help me show what it means to believe somebody's there with you or to think that they're not. Like Thomas had to be proved, it had to prove to him that he was there. So I'm going to get somebody who's willing to stand up and close their eyes and straighten their legs and fall backwards, and I am going to catch them, okay? But you have to be ready to do that, or you, you could be in trouble. So who do you think could do that? Nobody? 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 Sander, could you do no? Jody, could you do no? Mitchell, could you no? 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 You guys. Somebody has to help me. I can't catch James. <laughs> James could catch me. Should James catch me? Okay, okay, here we go. Okay. Okay. This was not the plan, okay? Now, what I just... All I want you... I I do things up here so that you remember things, okay? Now, this is not just fun on Sunday morning, okay? Although it is... I want you to remember, sometimes we think that we can't do something. And you know what? We can only do it if we know there's somebody there to catch us when we do it. And that's, I think, what Thomas was saying. I don't know if Jesus is there, but if he is, then I can say, I will do what Jesus wants because I can fall because I know Jesus is there. So we're going to see how this works, okay? Now. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you James is going to have fun. He's going to let me fall down, don't you? Okay. Now, the way this, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to hold up my hands, 
and I am just going to fall back. <laughs> this is probably better than if you did it, because now I have to trust, don't I? Okay. Yeah. Okay, you guys, I want, I want you guys to say one, two, three, fall, okay? Okay, I'm going to hold up my hands. I'm going to close my eyes, and you say that together, okay? Okay, I'm closing, closing my eyes. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three, fall. Okay, so now you you get to go into children's time now, but remember, I want you to remember that Tom, he he needed to know that Jesus was there, and as soon as he did out and live like Jesus wanted him to. So, God, we're thankful that you are with us, and you show us that, because Jesus rises from the dead. Help us always to remember that you are with us, and we can live with you, you live with us, and we can do as you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Way you go. Have a good time, you guys. Would you please Would you please close your eyes while we read John 21 verses 1 through 15 as the beginning of the contemplative prayer that Mel will be leading us in Afterward Jesus appeared to his disciples by the sea of Galilee It happened this way Simon Peter Thomas also known as Didymus Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for they were not far from the shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on them and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew this was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Continue to sit comfortably, inhaling and exhaling deeply, and consider the story. The disciples had followed Peter and gone fishing. They'd fished all night and were tired and worn out and done as the day broke. They'd not had any luck. Sit with that scene for a moment. Jesus interacts with their tiredness by telling them to try again, to keep doing what they'd been doing, to trust his word that it was worth keeping on. 
What do you think the disciples look like as they hear that news and encouragement? What do you think they say to each other when they're told to just keep going? Given the even ridiculous nature of the suggestion to just try the other side, why do you think they were feeling as they did what Jesus asked? And when things turned out differently than they thought, what do you think they felt? Now bring to mind those things in your life which are most difficult to keep doing because you might be tired and worn out. Or bring to mind someone whom you know that's in that situation, supporting and caring for someone or caring in a difficult time, working very hard just to make ends meet or to get work done. As you think of yourself or someone else, imagine now Jesus, who is light and love, urging you to, or them, to try and keep going, to try something they haven't yet tried, not to give up or be discouraged because he, Jesus, is there. And may the light and love of Jesus be with you. May you feel the compassionate and loving presence of Christ in your life. May you have courage, grace, and peace to keep going and to try again. May the light and love of Jesus be with you. May you feel the compassionate and loving presence of Christ in your life. May you have courage and grace and peace to keep going, to try again. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. We too are rising up. Rising up indeed. Amen. Please join us singing Create in Me. The words will be behind us on the screen.
spent a lot of time in the water with our children when they were young. They took swimming lessons. We spent recreational time at a number of pools in Saskatoon. And each summer we camped at a favorite lake, which, when it was hot, meant a lot of time in the water. Our children loved the water. They got comfortable, became comfortable in it, and they became swimmers too. Although, for all of them in one form or another, it tested their faith that it would be all right as they learned. One of them, for a time, struggled with going into the water because of what might be down there in the deep, dark blue. This might have been because one of our favorite pool games when we were was shark, where I'd be a shark and I'd swim under the water to grab them. Maybe some of you as parents or grandparents have done that. That's great in the pool when there is no shark, and we all know it. Not so much, though, in the open water of a lake, which in the imagination of a young child might actually hold one. And I remember that child of mine sitting in the canoe wondering whether they should jump in the water. Another, while wearing a life jacket which they knew would hold them up, still felt that dad was the real security and would clamor and climb up my back up to my head, almost drowning me in attempts to get to the top of the mountain, me, in the water. I was a mountain, but I was not grounded as a mountain. I was very much treading water. And so it was difficult to hold both of us up sometime. And still another had a hard time trying to dive. I remember sitting with them at the edge of the pool, showing them how to hold their hands, how to put their arms out in front of their head, just letting themselves drop, plop into the deep, clear pool only inches below. Just just keep dropping. They'd let themselves slowly drop and drop until, with the water approaching, they'd suddenly lift their heads and then flattening out rather than dropping headfirst in the water, they ended up doing a perfect belly flop would have garnered them tens on a scorecard if there had been judges. Their faith was tested. Faith that there is no shark down there. Faith that the life jacket you're wearing is actually going to keep you up. Faith that it won't hurt to hurdle headfirst down into the water, that you're actually going to come back up. I wonder if I'd not be correct in saying that for all of us, in some way, at different times, faith is a struggle, and we doubt Faith, sometimes used to identify our religious belief. We are people of faith, or the faith, or the Christian faith. And as such, we adhere to certain and specific beliefs that we would espouse, creeds or doctrines that we recite and know and say we name. Faith is also used differently. Like small children, having faith to enter the water, if we have a faith or belief system, and it could be religion or science or a political leaning or an economic model, which we are convinced of, we will act according to it, live by it, having faith that good things will happen if we just give ourselves to that which we say we believe, the faith. Thus, we commit ourselves by faith to some way of living or organizing life or working or doing business or understanding life or finding meaning. If we don't, though, or won't give ourselves to it, stepping out in faith, in that which grounds our doing and our acting, then we might be said to be struggling to live, live by faith in our faith. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together, the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be with you. And then he held out his hands and showed them his side. And the disciples were overjoyed at seeing the Lord. And then he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father is sending me, so I send you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him when they saw him, We have seen the Lord. Thomas said, Unless I see the places where the nails were and put my fingers in the holes, unless I put my hands in his side, I I can't believe it. So about a week later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. And then the doors locked as they were. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he looked at Thomas. He said, Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. And reach your hands out and touch my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you who have not seen and believed. Because you see and you believe. You have believed because you have seen. Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, more than are written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Was Thomas struggling with the faith and belief or with stepping out in faith to live in light of it. Or both. From the midst of a worldview that we have so different, and the story of the resurrection and the overall purposes of the gospel as spelled out in the end of the story, that they might believe and find life, it seems somewhat difficult to think that Thomas was wondering or doubting about this scientifically or logically as we might interpret those. That he was just trying to get his a grasp of the resurrection and understand it so that he could believe it. Or that those addressed by the gospel when it was written some 100 years later were. After all, they were raised differently than we are. We are raised and have been raised in the enlightenment. And it seems almost naturally that our inclinations towards life and that which we are asked to believe or learn is that it must be through our logical or scientific understanding that we are led to believe in something, that it's true. So our first wondering in this story about resurrection and doubt seems to be, did it actually happen? Could it be so that I can believe it as a belief, as a, as a doctrine, a tenet of my faith? And on this basis, we come to some conclusions about that very quickly. No, that doesn't happen. We talked about that during the Lazarus story a few weeks ago. To the scientific mind, following a scientific process of experimentation, the resurrection doesn't and can't happen. It can't be repeated. It was a one-time event. And for those of you who have read Christian apologists who try to prove the faith somewhat logically or prove resurrection logically from the story, well, I'm not sure that that leaves me very convinced either. The gospel story of resurrection doesn't necessarily seem to be written in order to stand up to scientific or logical examination. Any story of a resurrection wouldn't be actually, unless, of course, it was with medical intervention, bringing someone back after they have died. Medical intervention that we can actually explain, and there are those stories. Rather, all the responses to Jesus that we see and hear in the resurrection story are simply joy and gladness that Jesus is among them again. There's no incredulity that it's impossible, can't happen, but it did, so we have to try and figure it out or prove it or explain it to everyone so they'll actually believe it. After their initial doubt, because Jesus was gone, they simply joyously welcomed him back into relationship with them. All this to say that if we wonder about their doubt from our perspective, we might not catch the full impact of its presence within their story or other biblical stories of doubt either. For example, in the Old Testament, Moses doubting that he would be able to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. 
Or the story less known of Gideon, doubting whether God was with him, needing a reassuring sign from God so that he could lead the Israelites into battle. In the New Testament stories, the disciples doubting, knowing that all the people gathered to listen to Jesus could be fed. There were 5,000 people. We don't have enough food. Or in the story of Jesus' ascension to heaven, it says that some worshipped, but others doubted what was going on. Here in the resurrection story, John and Mary and the disciples and Thomas wondering and doubting. In these stories, it seems that their doubt was wondering whether they could actually move on in the direction which Jesus had given them and sent them out in, knowing and living with God in Jesus' way, actively believing, entrusting themselves to a direction, to that relationship to then live within and according to it. We might want to run the biblical stories of doubt through our scientific and logical filters of belief and understanding, and I don't want to exclude for a minute those questions and their validity in our lives, validity to our Christian faith, to understanding our world, our our universe, how we live and how we live in it. Paul, in the years shortly after Christ, encountered those who scoffed at his preaching of someone being raised from the dead, In any worldview, I'm assuming, resurrection would not be understood as within the usual. But nonetheless, I wonder if we don't need to use a different lens to look at this story of doubt, belief, and faith in the gospel. Instead of beginning with plausibility, beginning with purpose. The question is not only what can be proved and to what do I give intellectual assent, thus accepting or rejecting it, Rather, the the question is of what, and in this case of whom, am I convinced enough to surrender my soul, my being, my life, and my living so that God's peace will be seen in me and in our world? When we doubt our faith or wonder about it, it's not only about trying to understand, it's understanding what it calls us to how and now it calls us to what purpose? And can we then live within that purpose? I know it's an incredibly weak parallel. And I'm not Jesus. But when my kids were deciding whether or not to jump into shark-infested lakes or to trust their life jackets or dive headfirst into deep water, they somehow needed to know that I was there. You've experienced that, too, as parents or grandparents. I know that kids learn on their own, but in this instant, at least at this young age, the presence of dad was enough to get them doing what they wanted to do, or even to get them to do what they didn't want to do, but knew it would be good if they did. And it was my presence, not necessarily my talking, or even their understanding of it, that was going to get them there. Like, I likely wasn't going to prove to them through my talk that there were no sharks in that water. Oh, I could have said, don't worry. Most sharks live in salt water. And the one that doesn't, the bull shark, is found in warm, shallow waters along coasts and in rivers far from here, not in northern Saskatchewan lakes. I was not going to convince my child. Or that if they'd have come up... If they'd have, sorry, if they'd come up, if they would, here, try again. Or that if they come up, if after they dove in head first, if I would have said to them, don't worry, as long as the water that your body displaces weighs more than you do, you actually float. And because your lungs are full of air, well, you're going to be like a balloon, you're going to come lifted to the top. They probably would have asked me, well, what if my lungs aren't full of air? Or that their life jacket could hold them. If I were to try to point out to my child, see here in this very, very tiny print, it says that this is good up to 200 pounds and you only weigh 40, soaking wet. Would they have trusted in that? No, no. Seemed to be me. My presence that helped them grow into kids who could do those things, learn to do them and take risks because for some reason, with dad around, it would be okay. And they could do what they really wanted to do. Little did they know at that time that I'm no real hero, but they're easy to fool when they're young, so keep doing that. We've been in the Gospel of God, John since Christmas, and this is the last sermon on John today. Now we're going to head in a different direction. 
And the Gospel of John is about jumping into unknown water, risking and learning new things in order to find life in Jesus' name to take us into life around us in a different way. In it, at every turn, Jesus was showing and teaching that to his disciples. He turned water into wine and cleared out the temple as I preached, revealing life coming through life-giving ways, not only empty ceremony that didn't seem to have power in itself. He didn't throw stones as he talked about Jesus, not throwing stones as Kyle preached, freeing a woman accused of adultery and even her accusers from the brutality of strictly enforcing their law. He related to a Samaritan woman at the well, as I preached, breaking down stereotypes of who's in and who's out and who's good and who's bad. He washed the disciples' feet as Kyle preached, telling the disciples that they should do the same. He said again to his disciples, do as I do, telling them that they need to love each other as I have loved you, saying greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends, and then doing it in word and deed, suggesting that they do the same. And at the end, in today's story, those disciples are sent as Jesus was sent, receiving what he gave, the Holy Spirit. And in that, they would do what he did, forgiving sins so that those sins would be forgiven. In the end, carrying on a witness so that others would believe in Jesus as their Messiah, others who had not seen, and believing they would find life in Jesus' name as others had before them. It was this doing, this living, this believing that was on hold as Jesus died. This giving of themselves and following what Jesus urged was doubted. They were not moving ahead in those directions without Jesus. They were not going to fall down flat into someone's arm. They were not going to jump into the water. One commentator talked the other day about John saying that in John, life is all about relationship with Jesus. There's no moral imperatives in the Gospel of John as much as you find in others. In fact, it's different. Sin is not so much of of doing wrong behavior as it is missing out on the relationship that you have with Jesus. And in that, missing out on life, life that's not found, not inspired. And so when Jesus finally appeared to them, to his disciples, showed up at their side and walked with them as they had known him, then they were ready to receive life and move ahead. And those are the stories that we will read about as we move into preaching from here into the next months. Thomas, Mary, and the disciples doubted that they could move ahead. But when Jesus was back, they went running out into a new reality. And what about our doubt and wondering about Jesus, about the resurrection, about faith and life together as a community? Is it an intellectual exercise for us? Something to believe, something to tell people that we believe? Never bad in itself, and an important part of who we are. But it's also more, and maybe more scriptural even, to wonder about how we will live and how Jesus, risen from the dead, energizes and empowers us and leads us out into the world in God's way. In your doubt and in your wondering, may you find, may we find that way. Amen. Please stand and join us singing We Walk by Faith. In our hymnal, you'll find it in number 570. We walk by faith and not by sight. No gracious words we hear. Of him who spoke as long as roll, I
I feel compelled this morning to uh, reach out to our uh, church families and uh, to think about the Humboldt Broncos. A lot of you have seen the tragedy that happened uh, on Friday, that 29 injured and uh, 15 of them have passed away. They're all young men, coaches. We all have kids that have been on these buses, uh, um, hockey players, our boys, girls, and I think that our church needs to uh, keep them in our thoughts and our prayers this morning. Thank you. I'll ask the ushers to come forward at this time for the offering. pray together. Gracious God, as our world continues to be full of conflict and division, teach us to seek peace and unity. Teach us to spread your love and your word to all we meet through our actions and our words. We pray for Norma Epp and for her family on the passing of Jack Epp, and for Vic and Carol Penner, Wally and Sylvia Penner, and George and Marion Penner as they mourn the loss of Lorna Dick. Bring them peace and strength as they work through this difficult time. We pray for Ernest Clausen, who's recovering from a heart attack. Give him strength and healing as he recovers, and be with his family and walk alongside him. And Lord, we pray for the families of those who are affected by the tragedy in Saskatchewan this week. Give them peace, give them support, Give them strength as they mourn and grieve. We pray for our congregation and for our community that we would have the courage and wisdom and guidance to live as people who believe that you are the risen Lord. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can trust in you, that you are an abundant God, and out of your great mercy you have given us so much. We give you this offering today. With it, we worship you and give of our whole selves to you. Please take it now and use it for your kingdom and your glory. Amen.
Please stand and join us singing our sending song. Let it be said of us. now, sent by God, walk in the light, testify to the resurrection of Christ, forgive the sins of all, and live at peace with one another. And may God bless you with life forever. May Christ Jesus breathe his spirit and peace into you. And may the Holy Spirit lead you into the life and light of God. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.